Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome back, everyone, to God's Planning. This episode is one of our bonus Sunday Lexio episodes. So today, myself, I, your host, Father Patrick Briscoe, I'm joined by Father Gregory Pine and Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And we're going to walk you through the Sunday readings and help you pray, help you to enter more deeply into the third Sunday of Advent, known always and everywhere as Laetare, nope, Gaudete Sunday. I did that just so Father Jacob Bertrand would jump down my throat right at the beginning of the episode. I don't jump down people's throat. I would wait till we're done recording to say something. <laughs> he, was very, he was very patient there, very kind, a man of great virtue and reserve. Um, well, Fathers, do you want to say hello? Go ahead, Father Gregory, you say hello. <laughs> With pleasure. I was being respectful. Um, I wanted to defer to your greater eminence. Yes, hello. It's uh, it's good to be back on the show, as it were. I mean, in a certain sense, I never left because life is a show and the world's a stage and we're all, never mind. Um, so yeah, uh, things here in Switzerland are good. It snowed a couple times. I went hiking the other day. To start, there was like maybe three or four inches of snow on the ground. <laughs> and by, by the time I got to the point where I could proceed no further, there were like a foot and a half on the ground. So uh, there were half nice. That's because I was thinking of 18 inches, but I didn't want to say 18 inches because it'd be like counting someone's age in months past two years old. So, uh, so instead, I had no subject verb agreement. Father Jacob Burton well, is like, he's what is that in meltdown. What is that he's in losing meters? his mind. <laughs> okay, I want to know what is turn. that in meters? <laughs> no, we're we're done. It's a half a meter. We're done. <laughs> half a meter. <laughs> <laughs> That's <Woo>. it. <clears throat> Um, I guess it's, I don't really have much to say, not like Father Gregory did. So we haven't had snow here in DC. Um, it's been like 84 degrees and the heat's blaring and it's great. So getting ready for Christmas, sweating it out. <laughs> so here we are. It's wonderful. Uh, Just really feeling the season. I mean, everybody that has wrapped up a school year is wrapping up the school year has to feel the joy of Advent deeply. I always liked the, how that how the joy of the third Sunday of Advent lines up with things kind of wrapping up as we run towards the Christmas feast with glee. Mm-hmm. So that's where I, that's where I'm at here in Providence. Nice. And those not wrap. What what about those for not wrapping up? Earlier, <laughs> we just kind of carry on and <laughs> soldier on painfully. Soldier yeah. <laughs> It's the rest of it's the rest of you know Christian life. It's just a veil of tears, and then maybe uh-huh. maybe heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Start sad, continue sad, end sad, and hope for heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, that's our Lexio for this Sunday. <laughs> well, having logged having logged another successful introduction in in the history of God's planning, our listeners will hear me really refining my skill here. I will lead us into our reflection by praying the opening collect. Let us pray. O God, who see how your people faithfully await the feast of the Lord's nativity, enable us, we pray, to attain the joys of so great a salvation and to celebrate them always with solemn worship and glad rejoicing. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring glad tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and to release to the prisoners, to announce a year of favor from the Lord and a day of vindication by our God. I rejoice heartily in the Lord, in my God is the joy of my soul, for he has clothed me with a robe of salvation and wrapped me in a mantle of justice. Like a bridegroom adorned with the diadem, like a bride bedecked with her jewels, as the earth brings forth its plants and a garden makes its growth spring up, so will the Lord God make justice and praise spring up before all the nations. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Isaiah's prophecy here from the, from the 61st chapter towards the end of the book of Isaiah is really a prophecy of, of Christ and of his preaching, which makes sense, of course, because all of the prophets prophesy in some way the coming Messiah, the coming um, things of, of God, but also um, makes sense because we're, we're in the season, to, season of Advent. And as we dive into this third week of Advent, where we move or the scriptures that we hear at Mass move our attention from the second coming, which was the focus of the first two weeks, to Christ's imminent coming in the incarnation. So here Isaiah prophesies the things that we will that we will see um, not at the second coming, uh, though they won't be excluded, but more particularly at at the incarnation and Christ's life um, on earth that is that is before us. Um, Isaiah makes mention of a of a couple interesting things that perhaps should catch our catch our attention. Um, that one that he who is to come, uh, that the spirit of of God who will that will fall on on Christ who is to come will um, will first proclaim liberty to captives and comfort those who mourn. Um, two things here. First, uh, if we if we latch on to those to those two prophecies, uh, it, it should remind us of some words of Christ, some famous words of Christ from the Gospel of Matthew, from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the Sermon on the Mount where, where Christ preaches the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the poor. Here, Isaiah is preparing us to, to receive this new way of thinking in the Christian life, to receive this new way of thinking, this new way of living that, that Christ will usher in at his incarnation, at his life. Isaiah prophesies not just Christ, but Christian living, this sort of reorientation of, of what is to come, of how Christians will live, how we will live with God, how God, how the incarnation will change all things. So in a sense, he is certainly prophesying Christ, the incarnation, the nativity, but also giving us or attuning our minds, giving us a kind of hint of how we should begin to think, how we should begin to react and how we should be prepared to react and to receive receive the incarnation. I love that in this particular passage, we see something of the Lord's messianic consciousness. And what do I mean by that? Well, I once heard a lecture by Father Anthony Jambroni, who is a priest of our our province, and he was describing how the Lord recognizes himself in the scriptures. Specifically, he recognizes himself uh, in Israel's desire for a Messiah, which isn't to say that the Lord learns about himself, like he didn't know it before, and then he comes to discover it because that would be a heresy, and it's called adoptionism, and we don't like it. Um, But rather, the Lord has real acquired knowledge, which is to say, like, the Lord lives a real human life, and part of living a real human life is to um, kind of exhibit that knowledge, which is proper to each age. So if the Lord at the age of eight uh, were to say things that were proper to a man much older than he, it it would kind of, like, bewilder people. So the Lord kind of gives us 
in each age and in each, in each season, uh, the knowledge of his, which is, which is appropriate, I suppose, or which is kind of saving for a child of eight or saving for a man of 30 or saving for a man of 33. Um, so in this particular passage, we see that the Lord takes it to hand in his public ministry. Like when uh, the disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus and they ask him, um, you know, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? He takes this text and he recites it to them, which is to say that he knows who he is. Uh, there's no doubt in his mind as to who he is and what he's been sent for. But he uses Israel's own messianic understanding to communicate that to people. So, you know, season of Advent, it's a time of anticipation. It's also a time of realization uh, since what we await uh, comes in the end, as it were. And so we see this kind of like played out in the Lord's public ministry. And it's just beautiful how here in the book of the prophet Isaiah, we see an indication of the Lord who is to come. Uh, and not only in like kind of like vague and ill-defined lines, but rather in the concrete way that the Lord himself actually professes and actually preaches. <clears throat> so on Gaudete Sunday, there are many ways that joy is the theme of the liturgy, right? And one of the, one of the most evocative is actually this line from... Isaiah's pericope here that we're, we're praying through that God is there, the joy of the soul, like a bridegroom adorned with a diadem, like a bride bedecked with her jewels. So like the, the appearance of this, uh, the appearance of God is close to us, close, like the experience of another in a wedding and decorated like that vibrant with the, with the kind of joy of the wedding feast. Um, so all of the, all of the celebratory image that goes along with the wedding, um, well-dressed bridegrooms and, graciously, can I say that? Handsomely adorned brides, I can say that. <laughs> those, those things, those things are part of the joy. That's a context, that's an image um, that, that helps us refine what we understand is the joy of, of the joy of Gaudete Sunday. And it's joyful because like a bridegroom who recognizes himself and the beloved, um, we are able to be the beloved one that recognizes, uh, recognizes God coming to us. And we, we find, um, meaning in our life, we find deep joy by seeing a sense of belongingness and union with God. Like that's why we're rejoicing because God is present to us as a bridegroom that we're participating in this um, presence, this nearness of God as if we were at a wedding feast and that gives joy to our soul. Um, well, let's move on now to the second reading, Father Gregory. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In all circumstances, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Test everything, retain what is good. Refrain from every kind of evil. May the God of peace make you perfectly holy, and may you entirely, spirit, soul, and body, be preserved blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will also accomplish it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the question that we have to ask, uh, that everyone asks when they see this line in Thessalonians is rejoice always. Um, and the great temptation can be in different points in our lives to put an asterisk there and to decide that we as Christians rejoice in certain circumstances and that we don't have to in others. Um, but St. Same, same, same Paul is telling us here to rejoice always without an asterisk that we should always be rejoicing. And it's important to understand what is the cause of that rejoicing, like what fuels it? Well, it comes from a grateful heart. This is what he says, pray without ceasing in all circumstances, give thanks. Um, 
because a grateful heart recognizes the work of God in one's life, recognizes the number of gifts that are around us. And that's what breeds joy in Christian life. Happy people are grateful people. Grateful people are happy people. Um, They're joyful people. And if you're complaining, if you're unable to see the work of God in your life, if you're constantly ignoring and ungrateful you 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 just you won't be happy you you won't enjoy little shout out to father sullivan there you won't be able to to enjoy and to and to love at the deepest levels that you're being invited to by god um so this is a typical homiletical and interpretive trope here but one that we can't hear enough we need to continue to hear it which is why i repeat it thusly one of the one of the things that's always important to keep in mind when we're talking about things theological things about the faith things about Christ is is the end of of it all what's what's the point of the end and advent in a particular way gets our minds set or is supposed to get our minds set on end and on the end things you know with the second coming and all of that but even the end with respect to Christ's first coming you know why does Christ come what what's the point? It's not just to celebrate a birth. It's not just to fulfill pro- prophecy, but it's it's to save. It's to, as Saint Paul says in this letter, to make us perfectly holy, that we may be preserved blameless when Christ comes again. Um, and it, it's that line in between there that I that I want to draw our attention to that we're made perfectly holy, not in some abstract or some speculative or just some disembodied kind of spiritual way. But certainly in the spiritual, certainly with our souls, with respect to our souls, but also with respect to our bodies, may you and may you entirely spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless, St. Paul writes. And this is this is incredibly important because Christ does not come to save um, just souls or the spiritual, but to save concrete, real human beings who are body and soul. And the grace of the incarnation, the grace of Jesus Christ comes not just to repair things spiritual, not just to forgive and heal from sin in a spiritual sense, but to, to, to heal and to elevate and to, to transform even our bodies, even our bodies. Uh, what we do in our bodies affects our souls and what we do in our souls, as it were, affects our bodies. We can't, we can't separate the two. There's a principle of wholeness with respect to our faith. And so often when we, I think when we look at the world around us, this, this, the separation of the body and soul is an easy way to relativize our sins. You know, oh, I go to mass on Sunday, but what I do on Saturday night is a wholly different thing. Um, or what I do in my in the privacy of my home, or these are these are different things. But I, you know, I'm still spiritual. Well, we can't have it both ways. And thanks be to God, because God wants to save that all. He wants to heal that all, and His grace does. And this is why Christ becomes why God becomes a man. To, why he takes a body to be like us in all things, but for sin to save us in all things. So as we as we approach the the incarnation, the nativity, when we see the the God Man in, in in the manger, we should be mindful of that that he becomes man to save us, men and women, spirit, soul, and body entirely and wholly. In the documents of the Second Vatican Council, <clears throat> one of the major ones is called Lumen Gentium, meaning Light of the Nations, and it's um, the dogmatic constitution on the church. And it's, you know, like one of the first documents of an ecumenical council to kind of make a proposal or make a pronouncement on the very nature of the church. And the way that it begins, well, like the first few paragraphs are about the Blessed Trinity, and then uh, it next shifts to kind of biblical imagery about the church, and it uses or it kind of trots out 
a variety of images that come up with some frequency. So like mystical body and people of God, things like that. But one of the ones that it mentions is bride of Christ, that the church is the bride of Christ. And it associates the fact of our being the bride of Christ with our being holy. We are made holy, not as the result of our efforts or human resources, but by virtue of the fact that God, who is holy other and who is holy has drawn near to us. And as a result of which we are made holy. So it's interesting. Father Patrick drew out some of the spousal imagery in the first reading. Also here too, there's spousal imagery. May the God of peace make you perfectly holy. May you entirely spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. The fact of our being preserved blameless or unwrinkled or unstained to use other biblical imagery is a fruit of our being espoused to God. And as we'll see when considering the gospel, this bridegroom and bride imagery runs through even there. Thank you, Father Gregory. Let's um, turn now to the gospel. Father Jacob Bertrand. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. A man named John was sent from God. He gave for testimony to testify. He came for testimony to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to testify to the light. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to him to ask him, who are you? He admitted and did not deny it, but deny it, but admitted, I am not the Christ. So they asked him, what are you then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? So we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say for yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Some Pharisees were also sent. They asked him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but there is one among you whom you do not recognize, the one who is coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. This happened in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So, okay, I gave like a little teaser, as it were, spoiler at the end of the last contribution. I made to use some volleyball imagery. I, I think I bumped, and then Father Jacob Bertrand set, and now I'm about to spike. And now he's just like, you are insufferable. And I'm like, that's absolutely the case. Um, we were both at Focus Summer Projects this summer and with the opportunity to play a lot of uh, volleyball. Father Jacob Bertrand is actually good at volleyball. I'm trash at volleyball, but he's also patient, so it's a good combo. Um, so as concerns volleyball, volleyball is played on sand. Sand occurs in a desert. We're talking about the desert. Um, <clears throat> the desert is a place in the Hebrew understanding of freedom, worship, espousal, and covenant. So I'm going to draw those things together in the course of two minutes. <laughs> Here we go. Right? So in the book of Exodus, Israel is called out of Egypt, out of servitude, into the desert. Why? Moses says to Pharaoh, so that they can worship their God. Right? And eventually, you know, Exodus 15, they cross the Red Sea, they rejoice, and they are able to worship. And then immediately upon the receiving of their freedom, they're espoused to God. They're betrothed to God at the foot of Sinai and the giving of the law and the sprinkling of the blood. All right, but that's just a betrothal. It's not yet a marriage in the full sense. In order for a marriage in the full sense to take place between Israel, the new Israel, and her bridegroom God, right? Christ comes in human flesh. And how is his coming announced? It's announced by our going out into the desert. 
And so in this penitential season, the season of Advent, we have the experience of kind of going out into the desert. So there are certain practices which are discontinued, like the singing of the Gloria. Uh, you know, you, you wear penitential vesture, right? So the uh, violet color of the vestments is supposed to remind us of, you know, our sins and the penitence whereby we respond to such. But we go out into the desert, not simply for the purpose of, you know, lamenting our past sins and hating them, but with the idea of kind of growing, converting into a deeper love of the Lord, a deeper bride, bride and bridegroom kind of covenant fidelity, because the Lord is faithful. And even though we are faithless at times, he remains such because he can't deny himself says the scripture. And so we go out with him in the season of Advent into the desert at the preaching of John the Baptist, so that there what began at Mount Sinai in the giving of the old law might be consummated, right, by the giving of the new law. As the Lord Jesus pours the grace of the Holy Spirit into our hearts and consummates his love for us by his self-offering on the cross. So it's awesome that we who have been given so much are given yet more in the redemption. And it's not just a, you know, like take this here gift and make with it what you will. But it's something that draws us close to God, who draws near to us, who makes us holy because he is bridegroom and has called us to be his bride. That timing was pretty good. It was just under two minutes. I looked at the <laughs> clock to see. It's the shortest peroration Father Gregory's ever delivered. Yes. Yep. Great. All right. Uh, one of the things that that stands out in this reading is is the quote uh, from what John the Baptist quotes from Isaiah 40, which we had um, as our first reading last weekend, last Sunday, and the second Sunday of Advent, when John is questioned again and again by the Pharisees and the scribes and the people who come out to him to see what he's all about and what he's doing. He responds uh, to identify himself with, with that line from Isaiah 40, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. Um, in doing so, I think John does just two interesting things here. First, he, as, as the final prophet of the old covenant, does exactly what this prophecy, uh, exactly what this prophecy says. He prepares the way of the Lord, the way for Christ directly and immediately. Um, and this, this calls upon, again, this Advent theme of, of being watchful, of being awake. For the Israelite mind to hear, to hear this proclaimed, that this is who he is, um, they, would, they would immediately think of, of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah, the coming Messiah. So they're, they're, this John calling on this line is supposed to enkindle a sense of intensity or immediacy about the coming Messiah. The other thing that I think is, is interesting is that John identifies himself not by his name, not by his where he's from, but as one relative to the Messiah. He is the voice who prepares the way for the Messiah. His whole identity is wrapped up in relation to Christ. And you could say this about, especially about the Blessed Mother, you could say this about any saint and hopefully about any Christian, that our identity, who we are as men and women, is completely and ought to be completely relativized and, and relative to Christ. Because it's in Christ that we have our identity. It's in the love of the Father that we become the men and women we're, we're meant to be. And this way of identifying, um, in, in a sense, Christ, John the Baptist is saying, I'm a Christian. I'm the one who prepares the way for Christ. And the way the gospel of, of Matthew, we're reading from John, but the way the gospel of Matthew ends to go therefore and make disciples of all nations is, is sort of beginning here, that, that John's whole identity is wrapped up in his relationship 
in his relationship to the to the coming Messiah, which is something that we should pray for the grace to be to be conformed and identified as as a Christian in a, in our lives every day. I just want to uh, dolphin back on that, or piggy ride it, or <laughs> keep. We're going to keep going with this idea. No, I was thinking <laughs> of a very I was thinking of a very similar thing and drawing it out. Uh, my my thesis will begin somewhat differently, but John the Baptist is one of the scriptures most joyful people. Why? Why is he joyful? Well, it wasn't because of the locusts and honey he was munching on or, you know, the camel skin or this kind of like blissful uh, desert lifestyle that Father Gregory longs for, pines for, we might say. Nice. Um, Thank you. Yeah, do it again there. (laughs) Um, But it's because John the Baptist was so joyful because as Father Jacob Burton said, his life was conformed to this total joy in Christ. Um, how, where do we see this? Like, where, where do we see this? Well, we see it because John the Baptist is a martyr. He's a martyr. And this kind of joy can only be had in the total offering of oneself to Christ. And we need to take seriously his example today um, that he has given over his whole self because all, all of us have things in our hearts that we're trying to keep from Christ that we would rather, that we would not offer back to him. Um, whether you're in a difficult marriage, whether there's a, a difficult situation at work, something ethically that you're really struggling with, whether whether you're struggling with your own sexuality, whatever it is that's lurking in there, Christ Christ is calling for it all, and that's the totality of life that the martyrs that the martyrs show forth, and that's the kind of totality that makes one happy when you're totally given over. Um, you know, in our religious life, uh, and I could speak for the three of us here. Although Father Jacob Burchin, you know, may have some qualifying to do, but but like I I have just been so enormously happy time and time again when when sacrifice is demanded of me, like it's it's laying down of life that makes life complete. Um, it's giving it over rather than trying to rather than trying to to keep um, anguish in heart. Like that that breeds true joy. That that total self gift, that total offering to Christ, is the kind of thing that makes one. Um, happy, not for a moment, but deeply happy. Abiding happiness is what it gives. Um, deep joy. Final words? I don't think you got so. got nothing. Yeah. That was it. I'm content. Mic drop. Well, thank you, friends, for joining us for this bonus Alexio episode here on the God's Planning Podcast. Um, we are grateful for those who have begun to support us on our Patreon account. I have nice, you pronounced it right. <laughs> I have a phonetic spelling on the card in front of me, Patreon, on our Patreon account. Um, so if you think this thing is worth paying for, um, <laughs> that's wonderful. Um, and uh, any money that you give us for this thing um, will make it better. So um, we can shoot video in clearer quality and produce audio that is more appeasing to one's ears, um, et cetera. Um, for all of you who have shared the podcast, we're grateful. Please like and follow us on social media and text an episode to a friend that you think needs to hear it, um, especially in these coming days of preparation for before Christmas. Know of our prayers for you. We're asking that the graces of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, who has taken human flesh and become like us in all things but sin, might stir and warm and heal our broken hearts. Amen. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.